Bible, please, and turn to page 1002. We were read Hebrews chapter 3 rather optimistically. We're going to try and look at all of chapters 3 and 4 together today. Uh, so I'm going to read to us in a few moments from chapter 4, and, but before then, I'm going to pray. So once you're on page 1002 in our Bibles, Hebrews chapter 4, let me lead us in prayer. We want to thank you again for the great hope of heaven, a new heaven and a new earth that you've set before us. And we want to pray that as you speak to us about that now from your word, that your spirit would work in our hearts, that rather than hardening our hearts to your word, we might hear and receive it. We pray that we'd be encouraged where we need that, challenged and brought back onto a right path where we need that. Minister to us at our point of need, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me read to us then Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundations of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account." Hey, you'll keep that open in front of you. There's also an outline of where we're heading on the back of the notice sheet. We've been thinking about uh, hope all morning together. It may surprise you to know that hope is not universally popular, however. Frederick Nietzsche managed to be grumpy about most things in life, it seems, and he said, hope is the worst of all evils because it prolongs the torments of man. 
Uh, I don't know if that's how you feel on a Sunday morning, maybe if you've not had enough coffee, but uh, you may be better able to relate to others who said to live without hope is to cease to exist. Or a 17th century preacher, if it were not for hope, the heart would break. I think it's true for all of us that we like having something to look forward to, whether it's a, a holiday or a wedding or a reunion with friends and family, just the end of a busy patch, maybe. We like knowing that at, at some point soon, we're going to be able to take a break from our labors, we'll be able to down our tools, kick off our shoes, maybe even feel the sand beneath our toes, between our toes, and rest, and hopefully celebrate, hopefully feast with others. And one of the things that, that friends do for each other, we know, is in the midst of all of the, the drudgery of life and deadlines and pain that we all live with, is to try and help each other to lift our eyes to whatever is good on the horizon. We like spurring each other on to hold fast to our hope, because without that encouragement, we know we'll lose sight of it and be consumed with the pain around us. One of the the best things, I think, about the, the Christian faith is that it, it gives us something wonderful, beyond wonderful, to look forward to. Uh, a hope that is not only perfection itself, but is absolutely certain and sure. Not just some self-willed, blind optimism that things are bound to get better if I believe hard enough, but an objective and verified guarantee that has been proven by Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. And our passage this morning is a timely reminder. It's an exhortation to remember, to hold fast to the hope that Christians have. And the reason we need it is that you'll find that if a believer loses sight of their hope or comes adrift from it for a season, they'll pretty soon find themselves wondering if it's even worth being a Christian at all. Uh, it's a long passage. I said we'd try and do two chapters. Actually, we're not going to do justice either to the beginning or the end. We're going to focus on the middle. And the, the main theme just jumps off the page by sheer force of repetition. It's there in the opening paragraph, um, chapter 3, verse 6. If you glance down, you'll see it says, We're God's house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. It's there in verse 7. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. If you look at verse 12, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you a sinful, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It comes again in one way or another as you keep glancing down in verse 13, and then in verse 14, and then in verse 15, and in chapter 4, verse 1, and maybe climactically in 4.11, let us therefore strive to enter God's rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So God's word to us, his message for us this morning is clear. I think it's a, a promise and a warning and an encouragement all bundled together and rolled into one. The Christian can look forward with real confidence to the glorious hope of heavenly rest with God. But others who started that journey didn't make it to the end. And so it's vital that we persevere and help each other to live the life of faith one day at a time, 
all the way to the end. That's where we're going. Um, rather than working through it line by line as we normally would, uh, I've grouped it together today under three headings, and I've put them there on the sheet. First, God's rest is wonderful. Strive to enter it. God's rest is wonderful. Strive to enter it. And we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What is this rest and why would we want to enter it? Well, in one sense, it's a place. Um, When God first rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt, he promised to give them a land of their own. He said, I'll provide for you, I'll care for you, I'll protect you, and you'll live in relationship with me. I will be your God and you will be my people. And that promised land was a place of rest. God said, my presence will go before you and I will give you rest. Again, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and I will give you this land. So when the we think of rest in the Bible. We're thinking first about a, a destination, the, the place we get to at the end of a journey, a place of abundance and security in which God blesses his people and keeps them safe from all of their enemies and all of their adversaries. But here's the, the crucial thing. God's rest was never just about a piece of land in the Middle East. It was always about something much, much bigger than that. Um, Verse 4 of chapter 4 reminds us that when God finished uh, creating the world, he rested from all of his works. That's not the the rest of of exhaustion or weariness that we might feel at the end of a hard day as though God had overdone it a bit and needed a cup of tea and a biscuit and a sit down on the sofa. This was the rest of completion, of perfection, of enjoyment. And God's purpose and desire, this is incredible, has always been to invite people like us to share in his own perfect rest. The Garden of Eden was a foretaste of that. The land of Canaan was another tiny picture of it. But there was always another and a greater rest to come. And that's the point of all of the todays in our passage, hundreds of years after the people had entered the land of rest, God talked again about rest in Psalm 95. And he said, if you want to enter my ultimate rest one day, then make sure that you don't harden your heart to my word today. And Hebrews says in verse 8 of chapter 4, if Joshua had given God's people ultimate rest when he led them into Canaan, God wouldn't have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's the argument. In one sense, I don't think the detail matters so much, but the conclusion that our writer's aiming for really does. Maybe I can put it like this, that God is still doing the same thing in the world that he's been doing all the way since Genesis 2. He himself is enjoying his own perfect paradise party rest in heaven. And he wants us to persevere in faith so that we may take our place there with him. Hebrews refers to that place in in different places as the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. 
speaks of a homeland, a, a better country, a heavenly country that's been prepared for us by God. It's called the city of the living God. It's called a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a place of eternal joy. So we've covered a, a lot of ground there, but let me encourage us to cast our hearts and our minds forward to the day when we finally get to rest with God, when we finally get to rest from all of our labors. Rest from the, the grind and the monotony of work. Rest from pain and sorrow and loss and tears and broken relationships. Rest from the wearying battle against besetting sin. Rest from a, a heart that's prone to wander and a mind that finds it hard to concentrate when I pray. Rest from the, the magnetic appeal of a sinful desire. Rest from a culture that devalues Christ and our faith. Rest from active opposition and persecution when that comes. Rest from broken bodies, broken hearts, and broken minds. Rest from having to agonize over decisions. Rest from the battle to be wise. Rest from all of the mess. And to flip it around, the rest of finally being with our Lord forever. The rest of enjoying perfect and unbroken community. The rest of never having to repent of sin again. The rest of knowing God and being fully known. The rest of enjoying his love that is better than life. The rest of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's the rest that God has set before us. And we, we get a foretaste of it now as Christians in Christ. He said, come to me all you who weary, are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly. You will find rest for your souls. But even the very best of our Christian experience now, with God the Holy Spirit living inside us, even that is as nothing compared to the rest that awaits us with Christ in glory. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Wonderful beyond anything we can begin to communicate or comprehend. And therefore, verse 11 says, let us strive to enter that rest. It makes sense, doesn't it? Don't be, don't be too casual about this wonderful thing that God has put in front of you. Don't listen to anyone who tells you that living for Jesus isn't worth it. Don't flirt with anything that might drag you away from it. Don't let go of your hope or take your eyes off it and be consumed by the circumstances around you. Lift your eyes to the rest that awaits and strive. Make every effort to get there. We're not earning our way. I hope we're all clear on this. We're not earning our way, our entry into heaven when we do that. 
Jesus paid the price in full when he died for our sins on the cross, as we'll remember when we share the Lord's Supper in a few moments. Hebrews has told us he's the, the pioneer, the trailblazer, the founder of our salvation. But anyone who receives salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, must travel in faith until we reach the perfect paradise party of God's heavenly rest. That's our first point. God's rest is wonderful, so let's strive to enter it. And we need the encouragement because not everybody does enter it. It's our second point. Unbelief is fatal. Be very careful. And uh, to make this point, God takes us back into the Old Testament and uh, he introduces us to a generation of God's people who made precisely the mistake that our writer is wanting us to avoid. They're sometimes called the, the wilderness generation. And uh, I've put a little table on the sheet that sums up their story in five acts. Number one, they were rescued out of slavery in Egypt. Two, they heard the good news. But crucially, act three, instead of believing and being united by faith with those who heard, they hardened their heart to God's word. And thereby, they provoked Act 4, God, to anger. And so, 5, they did not enter his rest. You can see them there on the sheet. And all through the Bible, that generation and their mistake are then held up. Um, first for later generations of Israelites in the Old Testament, and then for New Testament Christians like us, if we've trusted in Jesus. The behavior of that wilderness generation is held up as a, a negative example and we're urged, do not make the mistake that they made back then. Don't have their attitude, lest we also imitate their fate. And so every time uh, they sang Psalm 95, as we've just read part of it this morning, they, they not only rejoiced in God's great salvation, but they warned each other not to make the same mistake. Don't harden your heart. Here in Hebrews, Psalm 95 is quoted first in verses 7 to 11 of chapter 3, then again in verse 15, three more times in chapter 4. Again, just repeating the same point today. Don't harden your heart to God's word because it would be fatal. Uh, verse 7 of chapter 3 deserves a sermon on its own. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, it's an amazing line, isn't it? Because Psalm 95 was written by King David hundreds of years earlier. But now we're told, you see the present tense, that, that God the Holy Spirit continues to speak through David's ancient word today. That's how living, how vital, how urgent the scriptures are. That's how big a deal it is when we, when we come to church, when we read, when we hear the Bible. The, the, the living God himself is speaking to us now. And what he says to us by his Holy Spirit is verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." The, the, the background stories are in Exodus 16, Numbers 13 and 14. They were times when God spoke really clearly to his people, but they chose not to believe what he was saying, not to trust it, 
And so they ended up doing exactly the opposite. But you'll see here that our quotation deliberately general, generalizes the point. Verse 10 says, they always go astray in their hearts. So that this isn't a, a one-off mistake on Israel's part. It's not an, an occasional bad attitude. This was the, the theme tune of their life. Their consistent and persistent habit was to wander away from their saving God. And that's the mistake we're being urged to learn from and avoid. Verse 12 puts it like this, therefore, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart, evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Uh, the warning is both constant and personal. It says, take care, brothers and sisters. It's a command that's put in the present. Uh, it's a uh, more like, I was thinking, more like brushing your teeth than it is like a childhood vaccination. You know how some vaccinations, they're one and done things. You get it done when you're 10, and then you never have to worry about it again for the rest of your life. Brushing your teeth isn't like that if you want nice teeth. You have to brush them every day, twice a day, constantly, all the way through your life. Well, this warning, you, you can't just take care once on a summer camp when you're a teenager or in a university Christian union and then forget about it. This is something you have to keep doing constantly for the rest of your life because there is within all of us an, an inbuilt drift away from God. Like one of the, the bowling balls you'd see on the green down at Kinnisburn Road. By nature, even as Christians, we don't stick on a straight path of love for God and obedience to his word. We drift. And so constantly we need to take care to come back to a right path. And it's a personal warning, an individual warning as well. See where it says, take care lest there be in any of you. So that the most dangerous thing I think we could do this morning would be to read that and to think, this is something that someone else needs to hear. We all know people who are a bit wobbly in their faith, a bit on the fringe of church life, I guess, and maybe their faces come to your mind when you read verse 12. They're definitely included, but so is the, the keenest and most plugged-in Christian that you know. So are you and so am I. It's not a warning that's meant to rob us of our assurance, once anyone is, is truly saved, once they've put their trust in Jesus, they've been made a new creation, they've been adopted into God's family, once they've been saved, they're always saved. Not because our grip on Jesus is so great, but because his grip on us is unrelenting. We are safe in his hands forever. But even though warnings like this don't rob us of that comfort and assurance, they are meant to provoke us to action. We're meant to hear these warnings and think, each of us, this is serious. That, that I cannot take for granted the fact that I'll be doing well as a Christian 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years from now. It's not something anyone else can do for me either. This is on me as I, as I lean on Christ, as I walk in the Spirit. I need to take care. And so in God's Goodness, he works through serious warnings like this to keep us safe in our Christian life. 
it is helpful then for us to see just the different ways that our passage talks about the mistake that we need to avoid. Um, glance down at them, will you, as I, as I just mentioned a, a few. So verse 8, hardening our heart to God's word. Verse 9, putting God to the test, thinking he doesn't really mean what he says. Uh, attitude is described in verse 12 as having an evil, unbelieving heart. Verse 13, it's being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 18, it's called disobedience. Verse 19, unbelief once again. And I think this is how it happens. We hear God's word, but for one reason or another, we don't receive it with a humble and obedient heart of faith. Maybe we're just too casual about it. So we're in church or we read our Bible and we're listening, but we're not really listening. And we treat God's voice a bit more like kind of the background music in a cafe than an important announcement from your creator and savior and Lord. And so it's in one ear and out the other by the time I'm out the door. Or maybe we would hear God's word, but at, at some intuitive level, we don't like it. it. It doesn't fit with what we think or feel about life. It doesn't match what we want to do. And because it's not convenient, instead of submitting to what God is saying and obeying it, in our hearts, we think, I'm just going to push it to one side. I'll keep coming, but I'm just going to disregard that bit of what God has said. That's what it looks like to harden my heart. And Hebrews says the root issue underneath, behind all of it, is in fact unbelief. It's not letting God, the living God, be my God. And there will be moments when you've done that in your life if you're a Christian. And any time you or I pick or choose which bits of God's word we think it's okay for us to listen to or obey at any particular time, any time we do that, we're playing with fire. But if it becomes the theme tune of my life, that then is fatal. And so says Hebrews, let's be very careful, each of us, lest we miss out on God's heavenly rest. If we did that, it would show we'd never really believed in the first place. Our third point makes the same point the other way around. Perseverance is vital. Encourage each other. Let me take us back once again to verse 12 of chapter 3. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Our relationship with sin is, is deeply, deeply toxic. Because sin is deceitful, and we are easily deceived. Sin promises us pleasure, and, and deep down, 
we know that it's false advertising, but it, it suits us to believe the lie in the short term. And so we gobble them up. And if we do it again and again, it begins to allow a, a, allow a layer of callous to grow on our hearts. And verse 13 is the antidote, God's antidote to our folly. Did you know this, that one of the greatest blessings that God has given you, God has put in your life to help you persevere in faith until you inherit his promisely rest, is that the other people in this room, it's the church, your church, if wherever it is, if you're not from here. We're not meant to try and survive as Christians in isolation. We've seen in Hebrews that we all get weary, um, especially when we live in a culture that's either suspicious of or hostile to our faith. We, we get spiritually weary, drooping hands, weak knees. And God has given us each other so that we can encourage each other every day to keep receiving God's word with tender hearts and to continue in the life of faith and obedience. Um, some Christians are forced by circumstance to live a life of private or isolated faith. But whenever someone chooses to separate themselves from their fellow believers, or only ever to relate to them at, at arm's length, it's almost inevitable that they'll stagnate in faith and leave ourselves more prone to being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. John Calvin put it like this in his commentary, unless our faith is repeatedly encouraged, it lies dormant. Unless it's warmed, it grows cold. Unless it's aroused, it gets numb. Our writer therefore wants the Hebrews to stimulate one another by mutual encouragement so that Satan will not steal into their hearts and by his falsehoods lead them away from God. I think it is a, a wonderful thing that God has entrusted to each of us a part in helping one another and encouraging one another to persevere in faith and hold our confidence firm. It's why we so often refer to ourselves as a church family. It's because we, we don't come here as individuals who want to grow in our own walk with God, isolated from everyone else. We come as brothers and sisters because we cannot do it alone uh, with a desire to encourage and exhort one another to hear and receive God's word today so that none of us fall prey to the deceitfulness of sin. It's also why church can't just be a Sunday thing. There's no way that I can encourage you meaningfully and you can encourage me meaningfully if the only time we see each other is on a Sunday morning. We can't all be involved in the lives of 250 other people uh, that are in our church family, but we need a, a church culture in which we expect to know other people and to be known by them if we're going to do a good job of encouraging one another as we're being told to here. That's why we place such a premium on our life groups and our youth group and our Sunday school. It's why we love it when friends get together to read the Bible or to pray together. It's why people meet up with each other one-to-one. -one. It's because perseverance is vital and we need the encouragement of each other. Well, I'm done. Let me just try and recap where we've been. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's gonna be wonderful. 
It's going to be better than wonderful. It is the fulfillment of God's grand design for the whole of creation. We're going to get to share in God's perfect paradise party rest in a new heaven and a new earth. But unbelief is fatal. The wilderness generation proved that. So it's a wonderful kindness of God that he has given us all of the resources that we need to persevere until that day, to keep on receiving the food of his word humbly in the community of his faithful people. That's what we're to do, and we will be with him one day. So friends, where we've been all through this series, consider Jesus, consider him, the author and perfecter of our faith, Consider all that he's set before us. And let's encourage one another. Let's take this to heart and just do what it says to keep striving in faith until we finally enter his promised perfect rest. Let me lead us in prayer. You tell us, Father, that your word is living and active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces us right down in our inner being. And we confess that for each of us, I imagine, there are ways in which your word has challenged us this morning, ways in which it's exposed tendencies to isolation or unbelief. to the willing uh, deception wrought by sin. And so we want to pray that today as we've heard your voice, you would help us not to harden our hearts, but that by your spirit, you would help us to receive your word with faith and action. Thank you that ultimately it's down to you to keep us and guard us all the way to heaven. And thank you that if we've trusted in Jesus, if we're yours, that we are safe in your hands, that you will never let us go. But we don't want to be complacent, our Father. We want to keep listening to you and keep striving and keep taking care and keep encouraging one another as you've told us to this morning so that we might all one day enter that rest together. And we pray, therefore, for your help by your Spirit in our lives and in our church, and to the glory of your own name. Amen. Well, I'm so thankful that today is 